Awesome. Awesome stomp. And I got one update on merchandise. So we have the, the sticker Ooh. order is arriving on June 21st. So um, if you want a sticker or stickers, uh, I'll include in the show notes a Google form for you to um, sign up for stickers. And originally, like I had this deal where I'm actually kind of shock stomp because I put this thing together where I was like, all right, just Venmo me 58 cents. First of all, I thought a stamp was 29 cents. Like that's how <laughs> out of touch I am. Like I had no clue that a <laughs> yeah. stamp was 58 cents. My wife was like yelling at me. She's like, how do you not know that? I was like, I thought a stamp was 29 cents. Like that's the last time I, I think that's when I got married. Like I haven't done a stamp and I don't know that long. Um, <laughs> Have you checked your gas lately? <laughs> I get, yeah. So I, I just basically said um, Venmo me 58 cents. But like a couple of people Venmo me like 15, 20 dollars and said like, you know, use it for the show. So I think wow. if you were like hesitant to like fill out the form because you don't have a Venmo. Like, just fill the form out and put a little note in there and just be like, I don't have a Venmo and I'll send you stickers. I don't care. But I figured, like, if you want to just cover the stamps. <laughs> but I, I guess the people don't have Venmo, so. Yeah, it's up and coming. Know. Rebecca, if you want, I'll send you some stickers for sure. So just fill out the, the form. I don't want any any Venmo from you, though. Huh. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. If you've been a guest on the show, don't, don't worry about the stamp. <laughs> Um, and then after that, once <laughs> can mail you a stamp. Yeah, you can mail me a stamp. <laughs> oh, when we hike together, you can give me a stamp. So, um, okay. <laughs> but, um, sweaty stamp. Exactly. So I just figured, like, if I got a lot, like, a lot of people want stickers, so I just figured, like, I would see if they want to pay for the stamp. I probably shouldn't just said screw it. And, like, um, but anyway, it is what it is. I don't know. It was a good idea at the time. <laughs> from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. On episode 63B. Do we want to call it 63B? Sure. <laughs> Part two. Part two. Part two. Yes. Round exactly. two. So stomp you. Um, <laughs> I remember, so we're, we're, we have to re-record the show because we had an audio issue. So I remember I like recorded a show and um, I, I forgot to press record on my, on my audio. And it was like the most heart-stopping moment of my life. So, Stone, tell us what, what was your, what was going through your mind when you, when you pulled up that file and realized it was toast. Well, yeah, it's interesting. In this in this software that I use, it's um, Cubase, which is a uh, Pro Tools competitor. You can see the waveforms, and um, this waveform did not open up for. I believe it was my file and your file, so it was just toast. And I, I tried searching for them; they were done. You know, it's just it—it it was gone. Like after this many years of doing this stuff, you know when something's gone. So I lost the whole session, and for that session, Rebecca had actually come over to the studio, and she has documentary proof that she posted online—a little, you know, picture that she's 
snuck yep. in there, which is super cool. But uh, yeah, what a bummer because it was a great conversation too, but we'll just have to make it up and I'm, I'm sure it'll go as smooth as it did last week. <laughs> yeah, we'll make it an even greater conversation. So I think so. Yeah. yeah. But Stomp is yeah. not on video now. So he's, he's got even like more issues where I, we can't even see him at this point. So we're already yeah. stepping all over each other. I have, well, the connection's fantastic, but uh, yeah, I'm working out some gremlins here in the studio. So who knows? All right, well... But it's good to see all of you again. It's good to not see you. Um, <laughs> but I had a couple of show opener things to talk about here. One is uh, I got a message from our friend. I believe this was Al who had sent us a message. So Al helps out. Like, he'll say, like if I have a question, if I'm like, you know, audience get to me about like a question or whatever, He'll a lot of times he'll chime in. Um, I think he's involved with like the... The Trailhead Steward Pro. I don't, don't quote me on that, but I think that um, he is. But so he had sent over a trivia question. I think it was him. If it wasn't him, I'll, I apologize. Um, huh. Asking whether or not the so Mount Washington Road Race is coming up. I think next weekend. So he okay. had asked. Oh no, I think it's this weekend. Yeah, Father's Day. He right? had asked if there's any dual winners of the Mount Washington race in the Boston Marathon. I was like, I have no idea. Yeah, and I don't either. Yeah, so I did a little bit of um, research on it, and there's actually one on the men's side and one on the women's side. So there is a uh, a lady by the name of Jacqueline Garreau, who was the Mount Washington Road Race winner in 1989, 1994, and 1996. Wow, triple, huh? Yeah, yeah, so she's won it three times, and she was actually the winner of the um, 1980 Boston Marathon. Which okay. was the famous race that is known uh, for Rosie Ruiz, who I don't know, Rebecca, if you remember <laughs> Rosie Ruiz, but she was like this famous, like she she basically like hopped onto the race like at the end and uh, won, and won. Everybody thought she won. She put on the like the whatever that thing is on their head that they put on there, and um, you know wasn't discovered for a few days. And finally, somebody was like, "I saw this person on the subway." The race directors got suspicious, and. Um, she got basically found out as being a liar. So Jacqueline Garreau ended up being the real winner, but she didn't get to celebrate that day. It's amazing. I remember oh, as a, that's too bad. Yeah, I remember as a kid that story for whatever reason is a really strong memory with me. And I was just a little guy. But uh it just to think about somebody trying to pull that off today with all the surveillance in terms of everybody with a camera and a phone and a live feed. Uh, I mean, I don't think you could ever pull that off, but, but back then it was, it was certainly attempted, but, uh, yeah. Amazing story. Yeah. yeah. Rosie Ruiz. Where is she now? She is, I think I'll have to do some research. Last I read, she was in Florida. She may have passed away. I think she did pass away. She was in Florida. I think she lived a pretty quiet life afterwards. I mean, she definitely made a big mistake, but she didn't, she didn't double down like so many of these folks that, um, you know, become infamous. Like she, I think, led a pretty quiet life. Yeah. But it is interesting. So we'll, when we talk about the search and rescue news, there's going to be another case of a, somebody being dishonest and, you know, it'll, it'll sort of tie into the Rosie Ruiz thing, but we'll, we'll save it for the, um, search and rescue news but i always rosie ruiz was one of the early stories that i remember like growing up like i remember rosie ruiz i remember the iran hostage situation 
Ronald yeah. Reagan getting shot. And then as far as the the marathons go, the other big marathon memory for me was the the Dick Beardsley, Alberto Salazar duel in the sun, which I think was a oh, couple yeah. years later, which was an amazing yeah. um amazing race and there's a pretty cool documentary about it out there so i can link that in the show notes yeah oh it's so great who won this year oh god i have no idea um yeah i I remember like for several years it was um what the the africans more or less right or ethiopian runners and everything else those guys with the wheelbarrow lungs that can just (laughs) plow plow through the field it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I think for about the last thirty years or so, the the East African runners are pretty well dominated. It. There's been a couple of exceptions, but but anyway, going back to Jacqueline oh, Garou, yeah. she won in she won the Mount Washington Road Race in 1989, and then 94 and 96. Not only was she the overall female finisher, but she was also the overall 40 plus finisher. So she was a competitive runner well into her 40s, which is impressive. Yeah. And then the other, uh, the, on the male side, the other dual winner goes back a little bit uh, farther in time. So this is John J. Kelly, who won the Mount Washington Road Race in 1961, yeah. and he was a winner of the Boston Marathon in 1957. So this is the John Kelly, who's known as Kelly the Younger. He is not the John Kelly that is called Kelly the Senior, who was known as the guy that ran the marathon every year, and I think he passed away a while ago. Are they related though or? I don't think so. I think there's a huh. bunch of different Kellys in Boston. So, Oh yeah. John Kelly was incredible too. What yep. a powerhouse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So special thanks to, to Al for uh, coming up with that idea. But I thought that with the, with the Mount Washington road race coming up this weekend, that uh, was a good, good opener for us. Yeah. It's such a great time. It's just, it's a great memory, you know, having run it a couple times and I know you can, speak to this as well but um like right now all the motorcycles are everywhere because of uh bike week and uh just bring brings back those visceral memories like getting amped up like oh my god we got to race this thing tomorrow or you know and father's day on top of it it's a cool time yeah yeah i always love the mount washington road race it's a tough year for me this year usually i would be up there like my uh, my wife's cousin her uh, husband Bo, who i hike with he's running it this year and i'm really disappointed i can't go up there and sort of cheer him on but unfortunately like we got um you know high school graduations this this month is basically a wash for me i got high school graduations every weekend so yeah yeah and i think the mall arson race is next weekend actually so quote me on don't, don't quote me on on that but i think it's next weekend which would be late if I yeah, I'm not sure. I'll look it up as we're talking and, and, and want to get a little break here. But um, yeah, but that's it. So stop sponsors and coffee talk. Yeah, let's start with the old donations here. So we have a ton. <laughs> so Nicole Beth donated five. Uh, Lynn from the uh, 48 Peaks Alzheimer's donated three. Let me see. She donated three. Thank you, Lynn. Stein donated five. Apparently, this uh, person moved from Denmark and is an avid listener. Natasha and Steve, thank you for those two. Someone donated three, and this is not the someone that we generally know. Uh, It's another someone. Lauren M., she donated three, listens Fridays and says, good job, buddy. John Boy donated three, and uh, I have a note here thanking for hike safe information. You're welcome, John. And what Donna Hamilton photographs donated five. 
So she is at 47 down and one to go. Good job. You're getting there. Crushing Peaks. And then Sarah without an H. She donated three and uh, tells us that she made it to Reckless for uh, some refreshments. So awesome. Thank you so much for supporting our sponsor, which is Reckless. And they are just minutes from the 4,000 footers, Franconia Notch, and 10 minutes from the five corners. And uh, just everybody knows by now, best food, craft beer, and fun. And of course, we want to say thanks again to EMS for joining us for the recent episode. And uh, you'll be hearing more from them, I'm sure. Awesome. Awesome stomp. And I got one update on merchandise. So we have the the sticker order is arriving on June 21st. So um, if you want a sticker or stickers, uh, I'll include in the show notes a Google form for you to um, sign up for stickers. And originally, like I had this deal where I'm actually kind of shock stomp because I put this thing together where I was like, all right, just Venmo me 58 cents. First of all, I thought a stamp was 29 cents. Like, that's how <laughs> out of touch I am. Like, I had no clue that a <laughs> yeah, stamp right. was 58 cents. My wife was like yelling at me. She's like, how do you not know that? I was like, I thought a stamp was 29 cents. Like, that's the last time I... I think that's when I got married. Like, I haven't done a stamp in I don't know how long. Um, <laughs> Have you checked your gas lately? <laughs> I get, yeah. So, I, I just basically said um venmo me 58 cents but like a couple of people venmo me like 15 20 and said like you know use it for the show so i think wow. if you were like hesitant to like fill Freebies. out the form because you don't have a venmo like just fill the form out and put a little note in there and just be like i don't have a venmo and i'll send you stickers i don't care but i figured like if you want to just cover the stamps <laughs> But I, I guess the people don't have Venmo, so yeah, it's up and coming. Rebecca, if you want, I'll send you some stickers for sure. So just fill out the the form. I don't want any any Venmo from you though. Huh. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you've been a guest on the show, don't don't worry about the stamp. <laughs> um, and then after that, once <laughs> can mail you a stamp. Yeah, you can mail me a stamp. <laughs> oh, when we hike together, you can give me a stamp. So. Um, Okay. <laughs> but, um, sweaty stamp. Exactly. So I just figured, like, if I got a lot, like, a lot of people want stickers, so I just figured, like, I would see if they want to pay for the stamp. I probably should have just said screw it and like. Um, but anyway, it is what it hey. is. I don't know. It was a good idea at the time. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, listen. Um, I I have a tick joke, but it's it's from a listener, so this is actually a first for the show. Uh, I didn't add this to the the script, but. He, this is actually really cool. It's by El Rojo, 1983. And El Rojo says, Why are ticks so fond of Mike and Stomp? Well, because these guys are the best hosts. <laughs> Not too bad, huh? Yeah, it's okay. a good one. Didn't don't do, the, do your little like sound effect. I always feel like the the tick jokes are way better when you like do the final editing and you do your little like drop in. It makes it better. Right. Um, nice try. Anyway, uh, but good just job. going back to merchandise for a sec. So I'm done with the stamps. So the well, the stamps are coming in on June 21st. Right now it's June 17th. Yeah. And then I have my intern that's going to be like putting all the the envelopes together. So I'll get those mailed out by like the end of next week, like the 23rd or something like that. And then from there, my intern is going to help me pick out hats and then we're going to finalize t-shirts and make a deal. So she's going to help me do that. So, Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. hey, it only took 
two years. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like that. Uh, but yeah. anyway, so uh, welcome to episode 63, take two of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue <laughs> podcast, where we... Um, Originally, we had a stop and post time limit of exactly one hour, but we're probably going to go over that this time. So this week, we right. are pleased to have um, Rebecca Sperry, Triple Crown Slasher guest, um, joining us for an update on life hiking, cats, cancer treatments, and an announcement on a special fundraiser that she's doing. So Rebecca is going to be ramping up her focus on um, doing the red line tracing or whatever we're supposed to call it nowadays. So we'll talk a little bit about her strategy and then also dig into her recent um, redlining trail tracing activity on Mount Monadnock um, and then all that and some coverage on recent search and rescue news. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Let's get started. So, um, Rebecca, I don't think you drink, but if you have any apple juice or good soda that you're drinking, feel free to share. But I'm drinking a Sprite. Oh, you got a Sprite? That's good. Hey, a little mm-hmm. spritz. little spritz going on there. Mm-hmm. I am drinking yep. another double IPA that uh, my wife introduced me to. So, yeah, I forget the uh, company, but Wizard. How about you? I'm drinking a double IPA from Night Shift Brewing, and it's called the 87, and I have no idea what it, what that means, but it's pretty good. My wife bought it for me, so she was all proud. She was like, I got you IPAs from, I don't know where she got them, but she, oh, was, she was proud of herself. That's super cool. Nice work. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, so Stomp, any recent hikes for you? No, but I did go up, um, let me see, what was that? I did uh, Greenleaf Trail for a qualifier, so that counts for something, right? And I just have a, a note about that. There was, uh, you know, the typical, what you would think were like rain squalls, but no, it was just pollen. <laughs> Incredible. I, I think it's starting to, to like tamp down a bit, but boy, the pollen was wild for the last week and a half. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. Me and my friends were running, and um, we, we like walk when we get to the, the hill at the final section, and we were like walking up the hill, and it was so like hazy, and we were, we realized it was exactly what you were talking about. It was like the pollen just blowing off of the trees, and it uh-huh. was just, just gross. But we had a couple of rains rainstorms down here so it it kind of knocked all the pollen away so we haven't had any issues in the last couple of days yeah and uh how about you mike anything nothing i'm in graduation party hell. graduation mode i'm still i'm still itching to get up um that little abandoned trail just west of welch dickey so we'll see if i can sneak that in this weekend yeah i was supposed to matter of fact i was supposed to hike mount chakora with my um neighborhood friends today but one of the guys had to do a chaperone for school and then i just i had some prep work for my uh my daughter's graduation parties coming up next weekend and that thing's like it's turning into like an all-encompassing extravaganza down here so i just had to do some painting to get ready for the the party so i haven't been able to hike rebecca hopefully you've hiked somewhere good recently of course you have i hiked today (laughs) where'd you go yeah um actually me and um, my our good friend Danielle, oh, cool. who has yet to make an appearance on the show, but is probably going to have to be a guest at some point. She's coy. Oh, yeah, she is. Um, so we were over in the um, sandwich wilderness, and she had some tracing, redlining, 
that she needed to clean up in that area. She's actually at 90% right now. So mm-hmm. she's getting really close to the end. Um, so we did up to Sandwich Dome, but we went up Black Mountain Pond Trail and then across the ridge and then down Bennett Street Trail and then out. So we did like a traverse and car spotted and actually Bennett Street Trail was so beautiful. I love that trail. Huh. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful trail. Like people need to get out there. That area is gorgeous. It is nice. I, I, I'm sort of like I had a little bit of trauma in that area because I was an idiot and I went up like the the Gleason Trail like and the problem with the Gleason Trail was that it's on Gaia and you and I was like oh if it's on Gaia it must be but it's closed so I actually went up the closed yeah. section of um, the Gleason Trail and I got stuck in these like insane piles of moose dung and eventually I just cut over to I did get to Bennett Street but I was like so traumatized by like getting bushwhacking through that mess that I just I, I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I could but are you with Sandwich Dome is yeah. it how's the view there is it it's growing in like bad right well so actually someone just someone I don't know we don't know who just recently decided to take some um some of the trees down so now there's Ugh. like a view really? Ugh. that's like um, a shame drop right there Wow. And they didn't even Come cut on. them down at the base, like all the way to the ground. They cut them like a foot and a half off the ground. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. So there's a view. So obnoxious. I mean, now there is a view, but it's like brand new. I saw the same thing up on Love Connection up here in Smartsbrook. It's like, come on, people. Just let it freaking grow. There are 10,000 views up here. Jesus. It's like, come on. Yeah. Is that one even on a list? A sandwich? It is. It is on the 52 with a view. I thought so. And that the reason I asked about the view is because when I went up there last time, I was kind of like, there's not much of a view here. And when they, when they delisted... I'll send you guys a picture. Yeah, yeah definitely send some pictures. But um, when they delisted those other mountains a couple of years ago... There was a lot of talk on like um, on Ken's Facebook site, the Fifty Two with a View site, about the fact that like Sandwich mm-hmm. Dome is probably only got a couple more years where you can sit there and say like, okay, there's a view. And <laughs> no, I always thought like, no when, what's going to be the next? Well, not anymore. Yeah. Crazy. Someone just cleaned it out, and I, you can actually see where they cut the tree in the picture too. I'll send you it. Yeah, people, come on, leave the uh, the saws at home. Come on. Yeah. Stomp is fired up about that. I am. I mean, I think that's really pathetic. Because, you know, for me, it it ties into these abandoned trails. Like, uh, you know, the Grand Traverse is is being chainsawed and tagged with paint and stuff. Like, come on. People suck. Um, You can see it in the bottom right. (laughs) I sent you guys the picture. Okay. Yeah, I'll check it out. Um, Stomp, didn't they... I feel like they they did that at... um, Oh wow! So sorry, Rebecca's sending me this picture. I'll post this on the. Uh, I'll post this on the <laughs> Facebook page. People, people are getting triggered. Uh, holy I Jesus! Bet. Yeah. Yeah. Stomp! Don't look at those pictures. You're gonna freak out. But didn't they do this on Tecumseh a couple <laughs> years ago? I feel like somebody cut down trees on Tecumseh. Not that I'm aware of. It, it, possible. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I definitely see a lot of trees that have been. I don't know. I feel like I see it quite often, but maybe it's just because of where I'm hiking. 
people decide to just take it into their own yeah. hands. The thing they don't realize also is if you go out and do trail maintenance on someone's trail without them knowing, and then they go out to do trail maintenance and don't know it's already been done, like that's such a pain because you may end up getting groups of people together that you're like, well, we're going to go do trail work together and you get out there and it's already been done. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Or overdone in this case. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. But anyway, Rebecca, welcome to the show. We, I guess we're going to have to have um, Snomp's heart rate settle down before he starts talking, but we wanted to have you join us again because you got a lot going on here. Um, I guess maybe to start with, like you, you did like a project earlier this year um, where you did all of the trails on Monadnock. So you did like the, I don't even know, is there a patch or, or what the deal is? But can you talk a little bit about like hiking all the trails on Monadnock, how many there are, what the distance is, and how long it took you? Sure. So um, I hiked all of the trails that are on Mount Monadnock and kind of around the mountain. Um, and it took me, I believe I did eight hikes total to complete all of the trails. Um, I think I summited the mountain like to the actual summit. I want to say it was five times. Um, I have to pull up the data to actually tell you the number of trails. I want to say it was like 34. Okay. And I, um, I want to say it was maybe like 45 miles of trail, something like that. Um, but yeah, it was a really fun project to take on this spring. I, um, typically in the springtime go out to the Belknap range and hang out out there. And, um, I've done that area so much now that I just needed something new. And also, um, I really just, felt like I wanted to explore Monadnock more because of the fact that it's such a popular mountain. And uh, I know there are a lot of trails on there that don't get used as much as the main trails. So I decided let's just see all the trails and I'll hike all of them. And I ended up finding out after I finished that there is a patch that you can get um, now. So there's a Facebook group and I, I'm not really entirely sure if, there's like one individual who sends out the patches and I don't know if he just has these that he has created, but he doesn't, it doesn't cost any money, but I kind of feel like I've noticed a huge influx in people on that particular Facebook group who are getting the patch now. So um, I think that it's great that people are interested in that they're exploring the trails, but I wonder how, I wonder if maybe there should be like a $5 fee or something, because I think this poor man is going to get a major influx. Um, of people yeah well you'll let you're getting the news out now so um what, yeah did you did you mostly start from the state park to begin with or did you you start from all different areas so there is trailheads all around the mountain so you have the state park trailhead which has the white dot the white cross and a couple of other trails as well and then there is the um, Old Toll Road Trail ahead, which both of those you have to pay $15 to park. So that's one thing that people should know ahead of time. Um, the other trailheads that I parked at were Marlboro Trail, Dublin Trail, and Pompelli Trail. Um, and then Birch Toft and 
feel like there's another one over there that there's like a different parking lot that you can park in. Um, so I parked in, in all of the different trailheads and only had to pay at the state park and at the toll road. Um, but I actually really, really, really enjoyed the Marlboro Trail a lot. And I think that's kind of an underused trail compared to like the White Dot or the White Cross, which are really, really heavily used. Uh, so mm-hmm. I would encourage people to explore some of the other approach trails because they're beautiful and they're not as heavily used and you don't even have to pay to park at them. So what stomps first trail? It's- Okay, you, <laughs> well, well, you're like much more, I bet you would like Spellman because you seem to like steep stuff, which Spellman is incredibly steep and I was okay. not expecting it. I actually went down it and it's, it's a trail that leads off of Pompeii. So it's not going to take you directly to the summit, but it's going to take you, um, I think you have to take Birch Toft to get to it. Huh. And then from there you hit pompelli and hit the summit but it's wow. like this really beautiful rock scramble that you would never expect to see on mount monad knock of all places right um sounds so great. yeah it's a really yeah probably a trail you would like yeah and that that's the trail that i i've hiked every time I, i've hiked monad knock like three times and i've gone on spellman every time so i'll typically go like white dot to cascade link up spellman and then we do a little secret mission off to the side um and then head up to Pompeii and, th- and then loop back around. So, But I want to mix it up, so I'm going to check out that Marlboro Trail, definitely. Is that where they found that fake finger uh, on Northwood's Law? Yeah, so I think where they found the fake finger, <laughs> Rebecca's like, what the hell are you guys talking about, fake finger? Yeah, I don't know about um, that. <laughs> they found the fake finger. I'm pretty sure it was like on Pompeii Trail, but up towards the peak. There's okay. like a couple of different like sections where you go into... Like you go, you're above tree line, but then you go into like these little wooded sections. And I think they found the, the fake finger, which I think somebody dropped a hot dog or something. <laughs> and uh, so wait, what was this? You knew it was fake because they actually showed the finger on TV. And you, you know, obviously, you, you can't show a, a, a severed finger on public television or whatever. It was one of the Northwoods Law uh, search and rescue episodes, and they were hyping it up that there was like this finger up there and you know a hiker found it so they called the rescue teams or or fishing game and uh they went up there and you know they they made an entire episode about it and built up to this thing being just a plastic finger that somebody left up there to troll everybody i guess oh my gosh yeah wow well i guess you can i guess there's lots of ways to get people to watch tv (laughs) um (laughs) Yeah, so Marlboro Trail, the only thing I would say is, well, I have a RAV4, and I don't feel like that's going to bottom out on most things. Um, just be aware that the Marlboro Trail getting to the trailhead is definitely the worst road of all of the roads, and it's very, like, eroded in some spots. So go slow or don't have a low, like, a vehicle that sits low to the ground because you may yeah. bottom out. In terms of parking, I'd say that's the best one as well. Like the Pompelli is going to typically be a lot more vehicles. Um, and then obviously the state park and the toll road, like the state park actually will even ask you now, do you have reservations? Um, and you don't have to, but they recommend it. 
So that's something else to keep in mind. And that started during COVID. They actually were like, oh, you have to have reservations. And they just kept it as a thing. Yeah. And I've, um, I've done that before. Like I, I just book a parking spot. You can go on the, on the Monadnock State Park, like website. And if you have like various parking passes, like sometimes it doesn't cost the whole $15. If you have like a state park pass, it, it, it's cheaper, but um, it's pretty easy parking in there. And typically what I've been, what I've been doing for Monadnock is like, that's a Friday night hike for us. So we get there like three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon, and then we can get up and down within like three, four hours and you get, you know, it's light until about eight thirty or so. And uh, usually there's not that many people there on Friday night, which is good. But congratulations, Rebecca, on doing all of Monadnock and, um, so you'll get a patch on that. So we'll include the details on how to join that group and what you can do to get a patch for hiking all the trails on Monadnock. But moving on to your next project, which is hiking all the trails in the White Mountains. So this is no, it used to be known as redlining. There was a whole bunch of drama about like using that land, that, that word. Now people call it tracing. I don't know what to do. I used to say I was just going to use tracing, but then a lot of people I know and respect still use redlining and you know, whatever you want to call it, you can call it that. I get it. Redlining has a bad history as far as a word, but it's also like, you know, hikers have been using that that word with no ill intent for a long time. So I I go back and forth on it, but like, we're just going to call it redline slash tracing and don't come at me. I'm sorry. You can't keep up. Yeah. It's very weird. It's like, I'm not even sure how to, I don't know. Like, I just feel like it's, I don't even know how to proceed with it either. And it's kind of hard too, because I'm being so involved in it. I feel like I'm supposed to use proper terminology and don't want to offend anybody. But at the same time, like half the community is using uh, redlining and the other half is using tracing. So, and then people I've also noticed all over the country still use redlining. So um, I was listening to another podcast. that's a very popular podcast in the hiking community and they were using redlining in terms of up here, like talking about it as well as other parts of the country where the people do this. And then out West and stuff, people still call it redlining. So it's just like, well, what is going on? <laughs> and other groups still call it redlining. Manadnock patch will say redliner on it. Yeah, just exactly. So, you know. so either, either way, you know, you're, you're doing this and you had originally started this before you had your cancer diagnosis and you, how far along were you before you, you you found out that you had cancer and you kind of had to stop redlining or tracing, but you, you continued hiking? Um, so I started in June 19th of 2020 for my actually my second time. And the first time I only did 7% and that was before COVID. And COVID hit after like a month and a half of me doing this. I had to stop because everyone, you know, was told to stay home and not be out going far away. So I stopped red, redlining um, in March and then was like, okay, I can't use this next month and a half and not, like, I can't not hike. So I started again June 19th. And I kind of feel like that's more my official start date in a way because the first attempt was so short. Um, so June 19th, 2020, I started and I hiked until, well, August, roughly like August 22nd. I think that's when I officially did my last hike towards it. Um, and I did 18% in that amount of time. Um, and then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Technically I was diagnosed on August 21st. So the day after that, I went and did my last hike. Um, and then I hiked throughout all of treatment and kind of went back and forth about whether I wanted to try this again because of a lot of things. Um, it's financially 
a huge thing for me to take on. And my car has literally 50, it has almost 200,000 miles on it. Like it's 50 miles less right now than 200,000. So I put like 400 miles on it since we last talked. <laughs> that was like a week ago, I think. Um, actually, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. Um, and then there's the whole me working and like I have bills and things like that. So it's kind of been a very much a back and forth thing for me. <laughs> and I also wasn't sure how I felt about the whole publicity piece of it. Um, with people being like knowing about everything that's going on in my life, it's been really difficult. And like, I've had to really learn how to navigate being public about personal stuff. Um, and I finally came to the decision a couple months ago that I really felt like I needed to try it again. And like, I got kind of screwed out of the first attempt because I got cancer or I was told I had cancer and I felt like I wanted to give myself this as kind of a gift for going through treatment. So I'm spending 14 months actually this time working on hiking all the trails in the whites. And I'm also working on doing the new England hundred highest peaks at the same time. So, um, I added that because I really want to finish that list and I have 80 out of a hundred done. And since most of those are ones I'll be hiking as I'm redlining or tracing, may as well try to just add the other ones in. It's kind of how I felt. So for the hundred highest, you're going to just continue on with the number that you're at and just add the, those additional 20. But for the, the tracing piece of it, you're hitting the reset button and starting from zero. Is that right? I'm resetting both lists. Oh, you're resetting both lists. So you're going to do the yeah. hundred starting from scratch all over again at the same time. Yeah. So oh. I know that sounds Jeez, like a, a lot. Yeah. 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 So, um, you end up hitting a lot of the, well, you hit all of the 48, you do hit a lot of the kind of like, you'll hit like, um, the horn and, um, oh, what's the other one up there? The bulge. And you like, get all the 52 the views. Yeah. Yep, you get, like, there's a lot of the 100 highest, well, not a lot, but there's some of the 100 highest you hit while redlining or tracing. And then on top of that, like, I will have to go to Vermont and Maine to hit all of the peaks. I have it all planned out. So, like, I think it ends up adding an additional, like, 27 days of hiking or something, um, including driving and things like that. So, it's really not that much more. And since this is basically what I'm doing for the next 14 months, besides working maybe two days a week, um, I am like committed to doing this kind of, and yeah, my biggest thing is more, I'm worried about, will my car make it? Cause it's got so many miles and also the gas prices right now are out of control. So I'm it's great. obviously like, that's something that I have to take into consideration is how much money am I paying to do this? What is the um, plan? Like, are you doing this like five, six days a week? Or how many days a week do you have to, to hike to, to meet your, your goal? Um, so I'll end up having to hike between three and four days a week, up to five, depending on like when during the year. So like during the summertime, I'm going to be hiking a lot more because it's feasible and it it's makes more sense for me. Um, winter time, I think I have like a couple of times where I'm only doing two hikes a week and it's just the way I have it all planned out. That's how it worked out. I purposely tried to, um, front load all of my hikes as much as I can into the non snow seasons, because 
it's much harder to do this when it's winter time. Um, in order for me to do this, though, I need to be able to do it all year round because I'm not doing hikes that are like 20 plus mile days. I'm doing like a normal, like 12 to 15 mile or under days. Got it. And then how different is this planning from when you originally did it? Because I think I remember last time you talked about it, like you did like Excel spreadsheets and you had a plan, but did you do the same methodology or how, how different is the plan now based on, you know, looking at it, you know, you probably thought this through a bunch of times, but like, what is the, what's the planning yeah. difference between the last time? Um, actually, I have it planned out the same because I still have the spreadsheets and everything. Um, I think the difference would be that I'm adding the hundred highest. So I had to take that into account when I was doing the planning. So like I had to think about how do I build those hikes into my schedule? Um, so like when I do Nancy Pond trail, I'm going to go up and do Nancy. And when I go do Vos, um, when I go do Kerrigan, I'm going to do, um, Vospur. Like you purposely hit the peaks as you're going along. And then I have it planned out so that I have days that I've put aside where, okay, I'm going to go to Vermont and do Mansfield or like, cause I've already done a lot of these too. So for me, it's, it's kind of a little easier just cause I've already done a lot of them. I only have 20 left. Got it. And then how does weather factor into this? Do you like, do you have like hikes? Do you, do you like reserve hikes that are close to your home when the weather's going to be bad? Or do you have like hikes that you like, you've got earmarked to say like, all right, this is like a rainy day hike and I'll wait to do that on a, on crappy weather. Or do you just have everything planned and you're going to do it regardless of the weather? Um, so I have it more planned out in terms of seasonality. So I know having looked at the the routes that I've created and looked at uh, um, the, the Facebook groups and like read about trail conditions and talked to people, I know, okay, these are hikes that are not going to be broken out in the winter. You need to do those during the summertime. Or obviously I'm not going to go hike up Huntington in the wintertime. Like there's certain things you just have to like plan it based on the weather and also road closures. So if I know that there's certain roads that are closed in the wintertime, I'm not going to put those during the winter. So I have it all planned out based on basically the snow. It's kind of what dictates what I'm doing when. Or also like when is snowpack going to be gone in the springtime or when is it going to show up in the fall? So yeah, it's all based around the winter basically because <laughs> we have such a long season. Got it. And then you're doing this for 14 months, which aligns with the amount of time that you spent in treatment for cancer. Like, how are you going to stay motivated for that long? And do you think that this is going to turn into like a grind or like, do you feel like this is going to be like a, uh, you know, I guess, is this a monkey on your back that you just want to get done with? Or is this something where you think like you're going to remain passionate and excited about being out in the trails all the time? It's a little bit of both because I know having already done this for basically like four or five months that it is hard and it's going to require me pushing through that desire to stay in bed and be in a nice cozy warm bed and instead of getting up to drive north um, or kind of pushing through the exhaustion when I'm tired on trail. But like I think I know that that's what is required in order to accomplish this. So I've already got that in my head and I've mentally been spending a lot of time, especially like the last week, really kind of getting my mindset and my head right and like in the right place and in the right frame of mind and like 
I don't know. I, I just sort of psych myself up for it, but then also try to like remain present. And um, then in terms of like wanting to get this monkey off my back, I don't really feel like that's the case so much as I feel like it's almost like I'm having a do over um, because I was robbed of this opportunity. And I feel like this is a second chance for me to actually try this again. And I'm really excited about it kind of. And so I have a friend who recently went through cancer treatment. We paralleled our treatments basically. And she bought herself a hot tub for like a present for going through treatment to herself. So I actually reached out to her and was like, I love that you did that because I'm giving myself this 14 months as my present to myself for going through literally hell for 14 months. So like, I know it's not obviously going to be an easy present or anything like that, but for me, this is so important and I've been thinking about it and focused on it since 2019. So it's like, this is my thing that I just, I feel like I need to do this because it's my thing that I have been so focused on and wanted to do for so long. Got it. And then with the, well, actually, let me ask Stomp a question here. So Stomp, Rebecca's doing like the tracing in the red line. I was like an obsessive list person. Like you seem to just be chill about like, I just want to do like my exploration of stuff that I find interesting when I do a little bit of research. Like what's your take on us crazy, like obsessive, like list, um, trail chasing type people? I, I, it's a really good question. It really depends on your, your passions. You know, I mean, for me, I think the um, the need to, to conserve energy for search and rescue, which probably is my overriding passion personally, um, is is what limits my time doing lists and things like that. So, I mean, for me personally, it's search and rescue. For others, it may be something else. So, it really depends on the person. Got it. So, your your list is essentially like being available for rescues when you need to be. It is, and it really has put a damper on, you know, my recreational hiking, but, you know, I get the word passion from Jen Adams, too. It's like, it's her passion, it's my passion, it's our passion uh, for the people that are really into it, so. Yeah, and I do like, Rebecca, the idea of, like, starting from scratch, because I like, I did a tally when I finished those three lists, and I was like, I think around 45% of the, the, um, the guide complete just through, you know, regular hiking through all those areas there. And then I sort of thought back and I was like, well, if I'm going to complete this, there's going to be a ton of scenarios where I have to go back to do the same hikes just to grab like a little spur. Or like, I think like Mount Success is a good example where when I hiked Mount Success, I came up from Success Pond Road and I took the little spur trail where, um, you go out onto the ledges before you even get up to Mount Success. And then when I came back, I was like, I'm going to go back out on the the ledges and look. And like, I didn't close out that little back trail that bypasses the ledges. So I would have to go back just to do, not that I wouldn't want, I'd love to go back to Mount Success, but like I would have to go back and just close that little like quarter mile section of trail down in order to, and I'm like, this is not appealing to me. I'd rather just spend a day hiking somewhere where I want to go hike. Um, and honestly, like I would always do the ledges on success over doing that little back trail anyway. So to me, the red line is difficult, but I think where you're starting from fresh 
it makes sense because you just have to do everything and you can do it much more pronounced and, and from a strategy perspective. But like to go close out little sections of trail that I didn't do before, I have no interest. Yeah, I I feel this, I feel very similarly about gritting. Like to me, gritting has no appeal because it's so redundant. And I know there's a lot of people who grid. But to me, it's like, okay, you're hiking. I mean, you don't have to use the same trail, but your goal is to get to the summit. Your goal is to peak bag. So you're not really thinking as much, I would I would assume, about like, let's explore these other areas in the lights. And to me, that's so redundant, and I would not enjoy that at all. Um, I would much rather redline or trace. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But we, I mean, the bottom line is we all have these nutty obsessions about hiking, and it seems like, you know, one group is not more crazier than, crazy than the other. We're all nuts, no. but I guess we all <laughs> like getting outside. But Rebecca, I guess just moving on to talk about the cancer treatment. So you're done with cancer treatment at this point? Like, are you, you, you're just sort of moved forward, and can you talk a little bit about that and where your head is at as far as like the coming out of the, the treatment? Yeah, sure. So I ended my hormone therapy or my Herceptin um, treatment, which is like an immunotherapy that you receive um, October 14th was my last round. And I started hormone therapy because my cancer was positive for hormone receptors, which means my hormones are feeding the cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was awful. So I started doing that on October 15th. And I did my best at going and doing that treatment, which I'm supposed to be on technically for five to 10 years. Um, I did it for about three and a half months. And then I got off of it because it was giving me really bad side effects. Like I couldn't eat. I had no appetite. I lost a ton of weight. I uh, felt really sick. I was having a lot of mental health stuff going on from it. Um, and then I tried ovarian suppression because I'm premenopausal in order to take a different type of medication for hormone therapy. And I just couldn't deal with it mentally. Like the idea of being postmenopausal at 37 or 38 years old. And like, it's a matter of weeks that you're put into it. It's not years. So it's incredibly aggressive and intense. Um, and I just didn't feel like it was worth it to me. So I am technically, I stopped treatment. I did not finish treatment um, because to me it was more important that I had a quality in my life versus quantity. So I am taking a risk because I technically have, I should be doing this hormone therapy um, because it reduces my risk by half. So by not doing it, I've doubled my risk of recurrence. But I also know that there's a lot that goes into this in terms of thoughts and people I know that are stage four, even though they did the hormone therapy. And it's just like, I don't want to put myself through this anymore. I'm done. Like I'm just done. So I ended treatment and I haven't done anything now since March 23rd. Got it. So you're so. technically cancer free. This treatment is just about like doing additional stuff so that it's less likely that it'll ever come back. And you're sort of just saying like, the 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 physical and mental issues with doing that extra stuff isn't worth the, yeah. the potential benefit of it not coming back. So the way that so there's like it's really hard to explain unless um, people often think that you are cured of cancer or that your cancer is gone. You can't see a cancer cell. 
there's no cure. There's no knowing if I... Yeah, you like ring the bell and then that's it, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's no knowing if I have cancer or not. Right now, I very well could have cancer and I just don't know. Anyone could have cancer. The point of doing these additional treatments is to lower your risk that the cancer that very well could be in your body still will multiply and grow into another tumor. Also, it'll lower your risk of having stage four cancer because once you're stage four, you're terminal. So I am cancer free as far as I know, but I don't know. Like no one knows. <laughs> um, it's called NED. It's not, um, it's called no evidence of disease. That's the closest you get to cured huh. once you've had cancer. So people say they're NED. Interesting. So yeah, it's, it's very hard because a lot of people use um, terminology that they just, they don't know. And I was the same way. So I have a lot of, I, I try to be really patient with people and oftentimes I'll just be like, yep, I'm cured because it's just easier. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, like as somebody that like, and again, I've had family members that have dealt with it and whatnot, but like you do like the average person will go on to like YouTube or TikTok or the social media. They'll hear from people that are like, Oh yeah, I had cancer. I went through treatment. It's like gone and they ring the bell. And then, you know, so that's why I think that everybody sort of thinks that way. So it's interesting to hear you say that because I just, I never really thought of it that way because it just, I'm just not close enough to that stuff at this point. But it's. Yeah. Like, no, I get it because it's the same. Like up until I got cancer, I had no cancer knowledge because I didn't have family with cancer either, really. Yeah. So for me, it was like I had no clue what the heck was going on at all. Mm. I didn't realize how long of a process it was going to be just to get all the information just so they could treat me too. I just have a couple of questions. Um, sure. I, I'm just so impressed by, it, this is sort of poignant for me because my, my, you know, it's Father's Day weekend. My dad passed away from cancer, what, three, four years ago now. And um, mm. so it's an interesting time. And I don't want to say that he sort of gave up, but I think he was, it might have been a combination of uh, reluctance to go through the treatments and this and that. And, uh, you know, maybe being tired. I don't know. Who knows? But reflecting upon somebody like yourself, you know, you tell me, I, I, I caught this when you said this earlier, that you were hiking through the exhaustion. I'm assuming that's due to the cancer. Mm-hmm. So is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So I know a few other people like there's just this other guy um, on the search and rescue team. He's very public about it. Um, he joined us for the qualifier and he has 15 weeks left of treatment. And we have another member that is, you know, going through treatment and you people blow me away with your, your, uh, your, your endurance and, and your willpower and your, it's just mind blowing to me. So I, I just tip my hat to you, and um, I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, but I, I just wanted to. I, I don't mean any offense by this at all. I'm just actually very curious. When you had mentioned your date about when you learned about the cancer, you, you had a very subtle distinction. You said something to the effect of, um, "I got cancer." Or I was told I have cancer. So you sort of like, you know, separated the two and made a distinction. Well, I definitely still, even now, I don't feel like I had cancer. Like, I still cannot believe I had cancer. It's something that I don't know if you can ever really process because it That's is what I'm like trying to get to. so yeah. 
mind boggling to me. Like when I look back at pictures or if I like even just think about it, it's like, how, how is that even possible? I don't know. It's like mind boggling and I can't even really, I almost feel like your brain does something where it's like, you can't handle this. So we're going to like shut down the, the ability to, to comprehend that you really did go through this. I don't know. It's like when I was in it, I definitely feel like I've probably spent most of my active treatment kind of dissociating and like not completely allowing myself to fully grasp that I actually was going through cancer treatment. Because when I look back at a lot of the things I did, I'm like, Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. like what was I doing? <laughs> I literally did like half a dozen podcast interviews while I was so sick. I could like barely remember anything I said. And then I went on all these hikes and I was in grad school and I'm just like, did I not realize? <laughs> But that's fantastic. I, don't think, I, I think, think that's part of the the victory. I think that's part of the how you overcome this. You know, you just hey, life goes on. It's interesting how so many people handle it differently too. Like there's a person I'm speaking with currently on Instagram who's pers- a person in their life is going through cancer treatment, and they're kind of um, not handling it as well. And there's no right or wrong way to do cancer treatment, and everyone handles it differently. But it's like, I think for me, the only way I could handle it was like. I have to almost act as if it's not really happening because otherwise I just don't think I can handle it. So I just acted like I wasn't really in treatment almost. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably, my guess is that you were probably always one of those people that would deal with stress by staying busy. And this is just sort of like a, uh, you know, a, a bigger reaction to an even bigger stressful moment. But the other thing is, is you have cats to take care of. So well, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you could you couldn't just like abandon your cats here. You have to take care of those. So did you? And by the way, did you get a new cat? Is that what I heard? Yeah, her name is Thomas. Technically, her name is Thomasina. <laughs> I really wanted a boy cat, and um, I was really set on the name Thomas. <laughs> So when I got the, like all the kittens, like the decision of which one I wanted, I, I'm like, well, that's. Okay. I've noticed like a trend with like animals lately. Like almost everybody I know that has an animal gives it like a like a guy's name now. Like we were on trail and we saw this dog named Dougie or Doug, and they were calling it Dougie. And I was like, I I love that trend though. It's so funny. Like they had just there's random guy names for all these pets. Well, coincidentally, my cat that passed away that this one is kind of like the the new version you know like the replacement i guess you could call it was a boy cat named mimi so <laughs> i think i just like to cross like to mix things up a bit that's funny that's funny my my um wife's aunt we call her mimi so that's a that's a that's a cool name but yeah i never thought of that for a cat but uh but that's good so why don't you um can you talk about like so for, in conjunction with doing the red line slash trace you are doing a fundraiser in memory of your friend who had passed away from cancer while you um were in treatment and you got to know her young young, young lady so can you talk a little bit about the fundraiser and you know we're going to put this up in the show notes and make sure that people can um donate if they're interested because it's for a very good charity but can you talk a little bit about that Sure. So I'm doing my hiking thing and that's kind of just for me, like my gift to myself. But I felt like if I'm going to do this thing and it's going to take a lot of time and probably people will end up following along. um, I want to try and do something good for something like some organization. Uh, And I ended up deciding to raise money for a small organization 
that is based out of Boston called Christopher's Haven. And they are, um, they only take in about seven or eight families, but what it is is any child that has cancer that is receiving treatment in the Boston area can stay uh, at this particular place. It's like apartments. Um, and it's because oftentimes parents and family can't, either they can't afford or they don't live anywhere near the city. Um, so this is to help out in terms of housing. And the reason I picked this organization is my former uh, student that I worked with, and she ended up becoming a friend kind of once she graduated. Um, and she was going through cancer treatment. And I ended up getting diagnosed while she was in treatment. And her name is Monique. Um, I have her entire kind of our friendship slash story thing on my website. Uh, it's kind of long, but it talks about our entire relationship and how things progressed throughout the couple of months she was still alive that I was in touch with her. She ended up passing away in December of 2020 from Ewing sarcoma, which is a really aggressive cancer that is often, or I think it's mostly or always found in children. Um, so Monique was a huge part of my I guess, care team in a way, because she was always there to help me and she was always rooting for me. And even though she was terminal and she was going through some serious stuff, she was always there for me. And it was like losing her really was awful. Um, I was actually in treatment at getting chemo. And then the next morning I found out she passed away and like, it was just really awful. Um, but she stayed at Christopher's Haven. So the reason I picked that organization is because her mother actually told me that Monique liked it a lot there and that if she was going to have me raise money, that would be where I'd raise it for. So my goal is to raise $15,000 for this organization over the next 14 months, which sounds like, to me, it sounds like an insane amount of money. I'm really, really, really hopeful that I'll be able to raise it. Um, and even if people are only able to donate like five or $10, it's everything counts towards this. Um, as of right now, I've raised $1,155. So I'm really hoping over the next 14 months I can raise the money. Uh, the families that, that benefit, they do not pay, and they all of the money goes to keeping the organization, the building, and everything open, and it is 100% um, donor-funded. So, like, they don't receive any sort of funding from anything else, which is That's huge cool. to me. Um, and they're not using the money to line pockets of anybody. Like, the, there's no one to really line the pockets of it's such a small organization so yeah i'm really excited and hopefully people will donate so they just have to keep the facilities open and available for the families that come in there and yeah and they um, offer like um i think they offer like kind of there's like a community room so the parents and everybody can kind of hang out and get to know each other and stuff which is a huge because i'm sure it's incredibly isolating being a parent who has a child with cancer um i just know that like it's an amazing organization and the people who work there are really kind. Um, the woman who is runs this facility and I, we have each other's phone numbers now. So she and I text each other, stay in touch about how things are going. And it's just, it's a very small facility. And I know it's not like a massive organization that, but I really want to raise money for it because I know that's what Monique would want. So I'm trying to kind of do it for her. That's awesome. Did you ever talk to Monique about like your hiking stuff? Did she have any interest in that? I did. Um, She actually, um, when she was going through the very end of her treatment, she would dance on her Instagram and like do TikTok stuff. I don't, (laughs) I don't know if you guys are on there, like 
they do these dances. Oh, yeah, I know. I got teenage girls. On yeah. You. So she'd get on there and dance. She called it dancing through cancer. So she would go on and dance and do cute sort of like the weird routines they do on TikTok. She actually has a TikTok account. Yeah, Renegade and all that. And her nurses would dance with her. It was really cute. She was really into music. So that was more her thing. Um, but yeah, she turned 19 and then two weeks later, roughly, she passed away. So she was, wasn't wow. really able That's to do sad. much physically. I mean, she was constantly getting radiation um, to keep the cancer smaller and small enough that she wasn't in constant pain. Yeah. Well, we will, um, we'll include all the details in the show notes and Rebecca, what I'll do is I'll screenshot the part where you, it talks about your story okay. and then I'll make sure that I just post that as an image and then put the link underneath. And then the link that we'll include is a direct donation where the, the funds will go directly to Christopher's Haven. Mm-hmm. They don't go through anywhere else. So you can donate directly to them and on behalf of our, uh, or, or to support Rebecca and, and the memory of Monique, so it's a very good, g- very good fundraiser, and we'll work to try to help you to get that fifteen thousand dollars. Thank Piece you, of cake. I really appreciate it. <sighs> I'm so nervous about not no making problem. it, and so dumb. I'm more nervous, I think, about that than anything. You'll get there. Yeah, you got fourteen months. I know. So I, just, you'll, you'll make I have it to happen. keep telling myself so, that. Maybe Slash will make a donation. Yeah, you know what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. But you know what you need to do? You got to find that guy that like gave the money to River Dave. Remember that guy, River Dave? Some rich yeah. dude gave him like a, a hundred thousand. We got to find that guy and see if we can get him to donate. But we'll work on that. So, but the other thing is, when are we all going to hike together? So we got to do. So when you're down by like the Woodpecker Studio, you got to let us okay. know, and we'll come up and do like Welch Dickey and like that whole area. There. That would be awesome, actually. Well, we should. I was, I was just going to suggest Cone Mountain. We have to do Cone, and that's an excuse to get Danielle out here because she needs Cone. Oh man, she needs to get on the podcast. Yeah, she does. I told her today she needs to. I told her I talk about her all the time. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, she's a riot. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. yeah we'll get her on. <laughs> that girl does so much stuff. Like, she needs to be on here. Yeah, she does. So, <laughs> yeah. And we did a triathlon together too. So, she's, she's, yeah, she's an amazing, uh, character in the white mountains so we'll, we'll get her on eventually but uh but anything else rebecca we're going to talk about search and rescue news so you can you can stick around and, okay. and give your opinion on this stuff but i didn't know if there's anything else that we missed that you wanted to, um, to cover before we go into the search and rescue stuff just the specifically the the statistics or the data um so the roots right now i have 182 roots that um i've created and it's roughly well, okay, it's about 1,453 miles, not including all the backtracking. Um, I have three overnights that I'm doing and 17 traverses that require car spots. So that's the, kind of the statistics in terms of what I'm doing for um, my routes and the rest are day hikes. So it's mostly day hikes, um, just to give people an idea okay. of how many days. And that 182, that's including the... New England 100 highest, I believe. Oh, no, it's not. I'm sorry. Including the New England 100 highest, it's going to be 185 days of hiking. Yeah, that's a lot. And I've always said, like, so if people out here listening, one of the things that I've always thought about when it comes to this trace or red line is, and I think I talked about this, Rebecca, when you were on previously, if somebody is listening and they're like a computer science person 
and they're interested in like large-scale distributed systems or whatever, if you wanted to do a cool research project, whether it's for a PhD or you're a college professor that has a bunch of computer science students or whatever, I feel like strategizing like the fastest, most optimal way to do the red line or trace by like building like a computer system around it to basically identify like what the best routes are and the most efficient routes so that you're not going back and forth would be a really cool project. And if anybody was ever interested in like doing that, like reach out to me. I'd love to be part of something like that. Like I'm not a, I'm not a computer programmer myself, but I think that that would be like a really cool project to work on to basically figure out a way to optimize the routes that to, in order to complete the red line so that you're not repeating trails mm. and that you're doing it in a way that's most optimal. I don't know exactly how it would work, but I think a really smart distributed system computer person could figure this out and it'd be a great project for, for a college class mm. or something. Yeah. And um, also I just lied. So um, it's uh, 185 days total of hiking because I have to do two overnights for the red line. And then on top of that, it's 21 days for the hundred highest. So it's 206 days is roughly how many I'll do just wanted to get that clear. Cause I didn't want to be wrong on your podcast. So, um, but yeah, that, I God. feel like I heard somebody else talk about something similar to this, where it's about cre- like doing a, um, dissertation type thing similar to this, not the, not for up here though on a podcast, I think. That would be a really cool thing to see. I bet you that someone out there could do that. Yeah, I I just build like a computer model. Exactly. Like build a computer model to say like, okay, you know, you put in the parameters and you say like, okay, a hiker is available to do 18 miles per day on average. They want to do like three to four hikes per week and then like just sort of model it out and say like, what's the most optimal set of hikes that you could put together to complete all of these hikes and figure elevation and distance and not overlapping all it is is a giant sort of mapping system that you'd have to figure out so it would be interesting to see what people come up with but you know if anybody's doing stuff like that like definitely let me know i'd love to talk to them we'll have them on the podcast or either that or we'll just follow along and whatever projects they're working on rebecca you doing mm-hmm. okay you look like you know sun's going down mosquitoes are out you're outside yeah. No, there's no mosquitoes because I'm in Manchester, so they don't come out okay. here. I was just checking. I'm, I'm right near the highway. And send you some. Yeah, bug spray. I'm getting. I was. I will. Nope, no mosquitoes. Think that was earlier today on the trail. <laughs> it was. It was pretty She's rough. In Manch Vegas. When, are you? Are you out on the deck or on the porch? Yeah, what are you? I'm on my deck. Because I just. I don't. I'm on the deck it's in Manch nice Vegas. Out. I can't be in the house right now. Are do you, you guys? Do you guys like my? Uh, Superman stomp logo. It's like a an S with a circle. Mm. <laughs> I don't like it at yeah, all. Yeah, it looks good. I'm talking you, to an invisible person. <laughs> My timing's off, Stomp. I don't know what you are up to. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm so tricky. You know what? This must be how teachers feel when they were doing Zooms. Oh, through COVID? Like back when we were all on COVID, when all the kids would refuse to put their face on there and they'd have to have <laughs> the S of whatever of all their students yeah which begs the question where were the parents like hello is your student no what's your student doing okay focus focus crazy times moving on to search and rescue news (laughs) all right
All right. So um, first, uh, so we get a bunch of national news here, and then we'll get into the local stuff. So um, first one is from Oregon, and we've got a missing dog here. Everybody panic. Oh, boy. An online community is rallying together to search for a four-year-old husky that went missing after a hike in Oregon State Park. So the dog's name is Uni. Uh-huh. Um, and they were last seen on Saturday, June 11th. So it's June 17th right now. Wow. Um, and the owner, I guess there's a Facebook group dedicated to this guy's return. So the group is called Finding Uni, and they've got over 500 members in three three days. So there is That's probably incredible. like... There's hundreds of women walking around the woods in Oregon with sweaters looking to put a sweater on that dog and save it and take it home. So... Um, there's 500 members. Some ladies on this article, she's like, I'm in Portland, Maine, but I'm praying for your girl to get home safely. So uh-huh. she's continuing to check Craigslist, Facebook posts to see if anybody had abducted the dog. And um, everybody is on the lookout for this dog. So Uni is like, people are freaking out. But the owner is like, it's so great how everybody cares about Uni. And she's like, I haven't met any of these people, but they're doing this for me and for Uni, and it's amazing. But unfortunately... They just haven't seen anything. So Weird, somebody's huh? going to find this dog in a husky, and they're going to be like, this dog's awesome, and they're going to take it home. So hopefully somebody will spot it. <laughs> in that mud pit, apparently. Apparently that's where she took the yeah. dog off of uh, the leash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I guess Uni is named after um, Sushi for her bright orange coat. So the dog weighs 45 pounds and has blue eyes and has shorter legs compared to other huskies. So I don't really know what that means, but um, everybody is on, on, in huh. Oregon is looking for Uni the dog. It means they don't do well in mud pits. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say, like, so I, I told you guys to say focus, but, like, and I try not to go on social media, but I, I always say that, but I'm on social media. There are so many missing cats in my town. I can't believe, Rebecca, really? there's, like, eight missing cat posts last night on the t- Like, nobody can keep control of these asshole cats. What? It makes me wonder if someone's taking them and, like, eating them or something. No, no, no. They're all being found, though. Because yeah. It'll be, like, you know, Becky Post, and she's like, I can't, I'm missing my cat socks poo and you know it'll be like three days and then finally someone will find the cat and then she'll be like thank you i love this town it's so great everybody looks up with a cat what town is uh, this you don't even want to know i don't want to get anyone but like there are so many missing cats in my town it's unbelievable so do your cats are they indoor or outdoor cats <laughs> they're they gotta indoor be cats. in manchester like the, the yeah no i would not they would get hit by a car Oh my god! I would love to have Daphne be an outdoor cat. She's crazy. <laughs> no, is Daphne the one that was attacking us when you came over? Yes, she was headbutting the oh. door like a like a medieval battering ram. She was so cute. Yeah, she is. I love She's that a kitten. Cat. Yeah. Well, speaking of cats, um, I think I was all stop. You know this. I mentioned this to you, but Rebecca, you might be in. so Mel. Who hiked with Flocky or Floki? Floki. Yeah. Who's like the fish? Floki. She reached out. So apparently, Stomp, like you would reach out to her. And there was like a, just a, she had some issues with her, with her email or messenger or whatever and didn't get the message. So she reached out and she's, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to have Floki on or Flocky, whatever, however you pronounce it. So I'm working on that. So stay tuned. But cool. she's down to come on, which would so be great. So you can't bring that cat into your house, Stomp. Oh, hell no. No, no, that would it would not be go down. the Viking gods battling. It is Floki. I, I believe it would be Floki from Viking lore. Okay. okay. All right. So, 
So if you had Floki and the executive producer, they wouldn't get along. Oh, these well, these two cats don't get along with anybody. So I'm. Do they get along with each other? No, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Nope, nope. So you have two cats in your house, and they can't be near each other. They they can't, and I think it's because the executive producer just is a you know she's so territorial, and she loves the two of us so much that she will not let anybody get near us so yeah it, it's crazy it's it's always a problem but they they seem to be getting a little better but i don't know uh, anyway focus mike focus so <laughs> i think the listeners uh, all right love this the stuff. next one is so this one is the one i talked about when we talked about rosie ruiz earlier so a woman is banned from National Park for five years over a false report about a missing hiker. So Jesus. this lady, Heather Mykoski, I'm going I'm to try to like give you the cliff notes on this story because it's like insane. Crazy. This woman, Heather McCloskey, cannot enter Grand Teton National Park after she knowingly provided false information in a false report in a search for this missing hiker whose name is Cyan McLaughlin. So my last name is McLaughlin, so it's like somebody in my clan is missing. (laughs) Um, But anyway, this woman, she's accused of providing false information. She actually admitted it uh, about a missing hiker in Wyoming's Grand Teton National Park. So she's been banned from the park for five years, and I think she got fined like 17000 bucks or something like that. So basically, my understanding of the story, and this was one that... um, I think our friend Al had shared this with us as well, by the way. Um, so my understanding is that this lady was a weird... So this guy went missing on June 8th, 2021 in Grand Teton. Hasn't been found. This lady weird. somehow was aware of the guy going missing. She was talking to some people. So this guy worked at a bar. This lady was at the bar and had either heard somebody talking about the fact that like the search and rescue crew weren't searching a particular area that they thought that he might be in. I guess he liked to like hike around this lake or something. And they were looking for they were looking in an area that was like, I don't know, four or five miles away. So one of the people like she either overheard or she was talking to a friend who was like, yeah, I think that they should search this particular area. But the search team was not looking in that area. So this lady heard the person who was a friend of the guy talking about it. She decided on her own to reach out to the search and rescue or the whatever, the Forest Service, and, and lie and say, I saw this hiker on this date in this particular area in order to get the search crew to actually look in that particular area. So she wow. basically like just made the story up because she was convinced based on hearing like the person's friend that they needed to search this particular area. So it would be like if somebody went missing on like, you know, Franconia, but you know, somebody that used to be friends with them was like, Oh, they really like, like lonesome Lake. And you then say like, Oh, I saw them on lonesome Lake to just redirect everybody over there. So it's like a crazy story. Um, and eventually like it, the, it came out that she like provided this false information because they started digging into the whole detail of it. And she finally admitted it and said like, this is why I did it is because I thought based on this like secondhand account that it was worth redirecting resources into this particular area. So I don't know, Stomp, what you think about it, but it, to me, it's crazy. That's insane. I, I'm not sure what drives people to do things like that. <laughs> I'm just going to keep yeah. my mouth shut. 
Yeah, who yeah. knows? Well, it's crazy. I mean, it's like we talked about Rosie Ruiz. Like people, like there's like people that just straight up lie about stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if they get like a um, energized by it or they get, you know, some sense of adrenaline around it or if they want to just insert themselves. But I've seen this with like the Mara Murray case has a bunch of people that like insert themselves into it and cause a whole bunch of drama. We saw it with that River Dave situation. Like people just like to insert themselves into nonsense, and you know, it's it's just you've got to be very weary. And I would assume like fishing game is well well aware of this stuff. Oh, yeah. It's just another reminder that like you know, in the heat of the moment when you've got people that are claiming like I saw X, Y, and Z, like you got to approach that stuff with a level of skepticism that you know not everybody is is on the up and up. Yeah, and I think that might like. Tr- trickle over on trail during a mission when you're going up trail to you know see somebody with an injury or whatever everybody coming down has 300 different stories about (laughs) what's up ahead like oh they're five minutes away they're 10 minutes away they're this and that and it's like mm, everybody just wants to be part of the adventure yeah yeah and then like the fog of like when things are going down like we just had a situation in my town like so i live in Amesbury, mass rebecca like i um, and we actually just had a situation last week where we had um, two people die. They fell into the Merrimack River, and a mother and a, and a six-year-old boy died. And like during that situation, they they were on the edge of the river fishing. The the kid there was two kids. They fell in. The mother went in after them. They got re- one of them. One of the kids got rescued by a boat. But as the story was going on. The original story was told that like there was a boat accident, but in reality, there was just a random boater out there that had rescued some of the people that had fell in from the shore. Mm-hmm. So for like a couple of hours, everyone was like there was a boat accident and somebody fell overboard and died, but that wasn't the story at all. So like in the fog of this stuff going on, like you just got to be you know really skeptical about everything until you know the the truth comes out. So this sounds like. A Stephen King town, like missing cats. Oh, my town! Oh, yeah. totally. People dropping. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my this town is like, like Pet Cemetery Three. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we do have a lot of missing cats in Amesbury. So. We have some good breweries and stuff. It's not all bad. How's the um, Chinese food? Yeah, we. <laughs> it's really good, actually. We've got we've got like a bunch of really good Chinese food. Oh. But um, but it is like last like last weekend was tragic. Like the um, the river here. Like we live right by the mouth of the Merrimack. Like so, I think a lot of people that are not from the area, like and this family was from Lowell, and I don't know like how familiar they are with the area, but uh, with the river. But like if you're down in Lowell and like even in New Hampshire, like the river moves, but it doesn't move anywhere like it does when you get to the mouth. Like the tide turns. In one direction, this kid fell in and was gone. Like oh. the two kids actually were just gone. So they, it took them three days to find this little six-year-old kid's body. Um, and the mother went in and saved his seven-year-old sister. So the mother went in and apparently like none of them could swim. So the mother actually saved the seven-year-old. A boat pulled up. They were able to pull the seven-year-old up. And I don't know whether or not the mother like went back to try to find the six-year-old or whether she couldn't get up or what the deal was. But they finally got the mother out. But by the time they got her on, they pulled her onto a dock, like she was she was gone too. So it's oh. just a tragedy oh my God. around the water. It's awful. It's so cold, yeah. even down south. I mean, up here, like I, I'm hearing trickles of people jumping in and you know diving off of bridges and things but it's cold yeah yeah and though and the the 
the current people have no idea how insane the current is when it, it switches absolutely out, so it's crazy but anyway let's switch topics here and and move to something a little bit more positive here so a woman was gored and thrown 10 feet by a bison after getting too close to an animal in yellowstone national park wow that's so, a good one um yeah, yeah, and I posted on our Facebook page. I was like, it, it is um, Taurus getting gourd season it sure <laughs> right is. now. You know, it's the beginning of the tour. Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen these these stories like all the time. People <laughs> want to get close to these giant bisons, and these bisons are like, you know, they're not having it. It's like it. the so weight of a car. Tw- they're huge. Yeah, yeah. This twenty-five-year-old, and I joke about like, you remember the like about the. Um, I just said I was like all these women are like looking for the husky to put a sweater on it. Like I, again, this is a twenty-five-year-old Ohio woman that approached the animal. Like a lot of times, it is these women that think like it's like a cuddly little toy, but this thing's a two-thousand-pound bison. Yeah. So it just it it gored her, and the park rules are that you have to remain at least twenty-five yards away. So that's like seventy-five feet. Like even that's too close. Like don't even get that close. Mm-mm. But. Um, the victim's condition is unknown, but she was gored. Ugh. So, it's the first reported incident of 2022, but not the last. The running of the bulls. Where was that exactly? <laughs> Yellowstone. Oh, of course. So, although and then again, nobody's going to be getting into Yellowstone after what happened this week. Whoa, uh. whoa, 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 whoa! What happened? Oh, you didn't see the? They had huge flooding, like all the main. Um, all the main like roads to get into Yellowstone are like uh, washed out. Like bridges got washed out, um, houses got pulled into the river. They got like flash flooded. I think we have like yeah. an M Night Shyamalan thing going on here with the uh, the nature saying uh uh-uh, uh with all the pollen mm-hmm. and the floods and everything else. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could Ugh, be. We're yeah. not gonna be able to breathe the air. Isn't that what killed the people in the movie? With <laughs> the air. Yeah, yeah exactly. But let's um, let's keep it positive with the next story here. So, Canadian hiker dies on Grand Canyon Trail a month before her wedding. Oh her come home. on! Um, really? Yeah, I, and I actually feel bad. So it's a month before her wedding. That's so uh, a woman from Canada died three miles before completing a hike on the Grand Canyon Trail with her fiance. So, so tough to tell what happened. It was insanely hot. So she was hiking the Bright Angel Trail, which medical. is like the it's the main trail from the South Rim. So the Bright Angel Trail is like. Uh, it's the main trail. She made it down. Most people will do like a hike. They'll do the the river to rim. A lot of the like guides up there or the like the forest service says like you shouldn't try to do a river to rim unless you're really experienced. So, forty um, one year old lady. She had hiked along the Colorado River earlier that day, and then around five fifty local time, rescue personnel tried to resuscitate her. I guess she was she was apparently. Um, you know, she was about three miles from um, from finishing the hike, and it was like an insanely hot day. So I think she just went past her limit, and whatever her body just shut down. So it's really sad. Yeah. She was with her fiance as well, so she got very, very, very tired on the last half mile or so. And someone said they were going to call nine one one, and she said she didn't want to let anybody help her unless it was her husband, and she wouldn't give up. And then, unfortunately, like she just she just passed away, which is which is really sad. So they were about to get married. They had property in Belize, and you know start a new life together. But it just you know she passed away while hiking. So it's just tough. You can't like push yourself in that heat. Like I don't think 
she's from Canada. I can tell you, like, I've been in Arizona, and, like, the heat down there is, like, unlike anything that we deal with here. It's just mm. insane. Yeah, my husband's from New Mexico, and we went down there um, about a decade ago, actually, and it was, like, 113 degrees, and I couldn't oh. believe how hot it is. It's And they say, oh, it's dry heat. Yeah, I don't care. 113 is still 113. Like, I was... I couldn't believe how hot it is. Yeah, yeah. And even though, like, you think the heat rises, like, it doesn't really in the Grand Canyon. It just, like, sits down there, and it's it's brutal. So, anyway. Yeah. That's, um, a, that's a positive story. Hmm. I yep. see what you're doing yep. here, and Mike. We'll, I see what you're doing. You're bringing us down, oh and you're going to bring us back up for the ultimate positive. I am with this next one here. So a hiker from California plunges 300 feet to his death on a rocky shoreline, Oregon cops say. So um, Stomp is picking out all these articles, by the way. I have nothing to do with this. So a California man a, plunges 300 feet to his death on a ro- 300 feet. That is a lot. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so this 56-year-old gentleman from California was hiking about 20 miles south of Gold Beach. And he just slipped on the trail and fell about 300 feet to the rocks on the shoreline below. Um, rescue was rushed to help him, and they had to set up a, like a rope system to repel down to him. But unfortunately, the the hiker had passed away on the scene, and they were able to um, take the body up to the top of the cliff. Um, I guess this is a, like the natural bridge's viewpoint trail is an out and back trail that takes about 15 minutes to hike, so it's not like a hard trail. Um, generally considered pretty easy and um, I'd be curious to see if this, this person was with any friends or family or anybody that would potentially like benefit from a life insurance policy because I always think about that when everybody plunges off a cliff like that. But, hey, honey, let's go to Table Rock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, once you go out on the edge, I'm going to get a photo. Um, so, unfortunately, <laughs> another death there. So. Um Stop! What? All right, here's another. <laughs> no, trust me, doing? dude. You you're gonna love this. I'm I'm bringing oh. the audience to the deepest, darkest place ever, only to be uplifted to the highest elevation ever. Stop! You'll see. You'll These see. Horrible. You'll see. All right. The next <laughs> next story is one person killed after hikers swept out to sea along the Northern California coast. So this happened in um, the Lost Coast Trail near Shelter Cove, California. Um, Authorities received a call about two people in the water, about 245. According to the fire department that had received the call, one of the hikers was actively treading water in the rough waves while the other was face down. God. Um, After a rescue by the Ocean Rescue Unit, one person was declared deceased on the scene while the other was taken to the hospital. Um... The sheriff's office said the rescue unit contacted a group of hikers who confirmed that the two individuals from their party were swept into the sea. So Shelter Cove is more than 200 miles north of San Francisco. Um, But it doesn't explain how they ended up in the ocean if they were hiking. I think this trail skirts the edge of the cliffs and water. Yeah. And they just got smacked by high water. And got pulled got out. It. Got it. That's scary yeah. as hell. Yeah, it's a very interesting trail, actually, when you look into it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, um, this last one here... Well, there's more national ones here. So we've Two more. Got, um, 
two more. So this is in Connecticut. Somebody <laughs> got lost in Connecticut. I don't know how you get lost in Connecticut, but they got lost okay. in Connecticut. So I got to talk to Martin and find out what the story is with this. So it's um, Jafrida Park, uh, a lost hiker. Why this is interesting is the fire officials were alerted to a lost hiker at 751. Several crews responded. Earlier in the day, the fire department had installed an app or location program called Rapid SOS into their, I think it's into their 911 system. And the department's command car had been loaded with this Rapid SOS, and the program allows responders to locate cell phones with great accuracy. So just keep that in mind. Now, you got your cell phone. If you're going to call the police, there's all this technology now where they can actually zero in on your cell phone. So um, they were able to pinpoint this hiker. Um, and they were located in approximately 20 minutes. Without the program, officials said that the process would have taken more than two hours with daylight diminishing. Yeah, I don't understand why it would take two hours. Like, why wouldn't they just be able to like call the person and ask them where they last were? But anyway, this is like basically like <laughs> when you call 911. I think you can sort of expect that it's it's going to become very common that they can pinpoint your your GPS very quickly on your phone in the future. Right, which is a good thing. Assuming yeah. you have, yeah. you know, service and satellite coverage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I have, um, we have this thing called Life 360 where I got all my kids on there and like I can see exactly where they are at any point in time. So I don't see why couldn't have something similar. Yeah. And this one, just to jump to the last one here, we have a submission by Lauren, uh, which is at Hiker IVT 207 Thank you. Uh, we'll skip it, but um, I think we're low enough at the moment. So it's a guy dies and four are injured in a thousand foot falls on Mount Shasta. Pretty intense story. So you can check it out. But here's the big positive. Go ahead, Mike. Take it away. You're going to love this one. Okay. Tale of. Yeah, yeah. So Tale of Survival How a Lost Three Year Old Boy Survived Two Days Alone in Rural Montana. Look at this kid. Amazing. Oh my story. God, there's a picture of this kid. He looks like a little devil. But so uh, Riker Webb was found safe in an area inhabited by mountain lions and bears. So a uh, three year old boy uh, spent two days on his own. He survived by seeking shelter in a shed. So this kid was reported missing on Friday afternoon and he was found on Sunday, about two miles from his home in a small town called Troy near northwestern Montana. Yeah. Um, this kid's a little ginger, a little redhead. <laughs> of um, course he is. <laughs> he is. He is. So, uh, they heard a little boy's voice from the shed. And again, I have a redheaded daughter, so I think I'm okay saying <laughs> ginger. Know. But if I'm not, come at me, I guess. I'm sorry. Um, but this kid was went missing. He was very, very scared. Um and, you know, there's mountain lions and bears, that, and they're real bears, like grizzly bears. Oh, yeah. So um, there was a bunch of thunderstorms on the evening that he went missing, and the temperatures dipped down to 40 degrees. And I guess the shed where he took shelter was pretty old log cabin-style structure. So um, when they found him, they asked, like, a bunch of different questions. And the kid was like, I just went for a long walk, and I got tired. And... Um, I guess like they told him, like he got pretty excited when they said he's going to reunite with his parents, and um, I guess they took him for an evaluation, and he's been discharged. But um, they they really don't know what the deal is and why he he took off. Well, I read another story somewhere. The kid spent the night in that shed in a lawnmower bag. So he like he put himself in this lawnmower bag and spent the night and survived. 
It's yeah. amazing. What a what a cool little dude. You know what he reminds me yeah. of? Like, you know, the Game of Thrones mythology here. He looks like the dude that says, I've always had blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> he's an interesting little fellow. He, like, looks older than he is. Yeah. But he's an interesting little fellow. But I guess he's interested in bugs and insects. So There you go. Maybe he just got distracted. So we so took anyway, you from the um, deep, dark depths of despair to the positive highlights. There you go. Only at Slasher. Yeah, exactly. Well, we got a couple more here that are local. Um, So there's two ATV, UTV crashes. Like one guy, I guess, got killed in uh, Berlin a week or two ago. So now, like, we've transitioned from the snowmobiles to the UTVs, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about these. Um, But this guy was 53 years old. He was riding um, along the Seven Islands Trail in Cambridge. Do they use stop? Do they use the same like snowmobile trails with these UTVs, or are there different sets of trails? Uh, I believe different, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, like for instance, Jefferson Notch Road. You're not going to see ATVs on that road, and that's a snowmobile road in the winter. So it depends. Got it. Well, this guy was cruising along and. Um, hit a tree and got ejected from the utv now these utvs i feel like they're like the they're like the little cars i don't know why they don't i feel like i see like people with like shoulder straps and everything on them i don't know why this guy got ejected mm-hmm. but maybe that's one of the reasons why he passed away yeah yeah so anyway and then there was another dude that lost control of his utv and this was uh, i guess that utv stands for utility terrain vehicle so uh 36 year old guy from mass um, and yet another passenger from Massachusetts. So uh, I guess they were swerving to avoid another UTV turning off a side road and suddenly lost control. Um, yeah, I think he was uh, issued a summons for unreasonable speed. So hmm. 30-year-old guy driving too quickly, not too surprising. Yeah. Um, and then we've got two rescues. So this first one happened in... Uh, Kilkenny, New Hampshire. Is there a Kilkenny, New Hampshire? Or is that an, is that a typo? Um, Kilkenny Range. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I don't know. Not sure. I don't know the, uh, the 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 press release says Kilkenny, New Hampshire, like it's a town, but I don't think it is. But anyway, um, fishing game was notified of an injured hiker via nine one one on Saturday, June fourth at one thirty p.m. So the hiker had descended from Mount Cabot and was hiking north on the Kilkenny Ridge Trail when he suffered a leg injury. So um, Avsar responded. Uh, The hiker, 65-year-old from Rhode Island, was hiking with another person. Um, Some other hikers came upon him and helped him out while they were waiting. Uh, The hiker had departed earlier in the day from Unknown Pond Trailhead off of Millbrook, and they were about five miles from from that location when the injury occurred. So the shortest distance was to take the old Mount Cabot Trail from East Lancaster up to the Kilkenny Ridge Trail. Um, This distance was also approximately five miles, but the uh, conservation officers used an ATV to access it within 0.6 miles of the Bunnell Notch Trail Junction. From there, they had an additional mile to meet Driscoll and some hikers that were assisting them. So if I'm reading this correctly... I'm trying to understand this. So the shortest distance to his location was to take the old... So that's the old Mount Cabot Trail, which is closed. 
So they must have been, they must have, the, the landowner there must have let them go up there, mm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because that's closed off. So kudos to the landowner for letting them, letting them do that then if that's the case. Um, and this guy, I guess they were able to um, hike him out. And they got him out via the the ATV at around 8.30 p.m. And he was good to go. And thumbs up to the studio at a hike safeguard. Hmm. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So that's interesting that they did take that, um, that, that Mount Cabot trail. We have breaking news. Breaking news. All right, Stomp. Let's go to this one. So Let's we'll, do this one, huh? And call it a okay. day. I will do this. Yeah, we'll we'll call it a day. So, breaking news on uh, Thursday, June sixteenth, which is yesterday. Oh yeah. Yeah, there was a. Oh yeah, I read this one today. Matter of fact, so Dicey Mills, which is like the main, um, the main trail up at the, to what Whiteface and all that stuff. Pass Conway, yeah. Pass Conway. So a male subject slipped and injured his ankle and requested assistance. So this guy, 24-year-old from Lawrence, was hiking with a, f- a female companion. They were hiking the Dicey Mill, Mill Trail and decided to go off trail in the vicinity of the bowl. I don't know why, but the dude <laughs> slipped and injured his ankle, and they had to call 911. And then, um, so Sandwich, Tamworth, and Center, like a lot of the fire departments in the Sandwich Range respond to rescues along with the Lakes Lakes Region Search and Rescue Team. Yeah. Um, but they assisted with the rescue, and I guess this guy was eventually located and assisted down the trail to the trailhead parking area by 930, and he was assessed and treated by members of the ambulance service. And it doesn't really, all it says is it reminds people to be prepared but this guy if he was with his like girlfriend hopefully this wasn't like a first date or something like this he's not looking too good <laughs> we're all married right like i, I definitely yeah. hear like on social media about people talking about like how they go for hikes on first dates and how it's like usually oh, a disaster because yeah i think yeah, a lot a of people segment. pretend that they're hikers to get to meet girls but like they're not really hikers yeah that is a definite great segment for the future <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's that's a lot, well, man. That's, that's it. there's so much going on nationally, locally. It's like holy moly. Hiking is so goddamn dangerous. It really what is, is going on here? So many people are dying. That's why people are pumped on it. They're like, oh yeah, take the risk. Yeah. 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 You know what? I just you know, I gotta post this video on um, on the Facebook page. But I just saw another video out in British Columbia of this family. That was hiking, and this bear was just like chasing them down. Not chasing them, but like the bear would not. Um, st- so one, the guy had like a little like twelve month old baby in his backpack, and then there oh, was like a son yeah. that was like four years old, and it was a husband and wife, and they're like walking away. The wife's like, "Hey bear, hey bear." The, the little kid is like four years old. I gotta play. He's like, "Are we supposed to play dead now?" <laughs> He's like wow. asking his mother. Like it's it's been crazy out there. But um, and then all the people on the comments were like, "They shouldn't be taking their kids out like that and putting them at risk." Oh, come and on, there's you shouldn't be anywhere where bears are. And I'm like, ah. you guys don't understand understand what we're up to out here i, I think yeah. those parents handled that situation really well i mean they tried to balance the whole anxiety and stress of the event you know it, trying to avoid stressing out the kids i mean it was that's a tough situation no question yeah. about it i would have been like look <laughs> important life lesson here Run. the slowest person is the one that's going to get eaten kid <laughs> 
I love the fact uh, that they actually had time to film it, though. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was kind of weird because the beer like did stay like twenty feet back, but it was still a little like scary. Oh, it was tracking. It would have been a different. It was a black beer, so if it was a grizzly beer, that would have been a completely different yeah. scenario. And remember, the slasher tip is to punch him in the nose. That's all you got to do. You're good to go. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And then with that, I think we're going to get going we are too soon. So, Rebecca, thanks for joining us. And thanks, guys. I can barely see you now. You're in the dark in Manchester. <laughs> You're going to get the hell inside before yeah, you get killed. The bugs are actually, <laughs> yeah, the bugs are actually kind of coming out now, too. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. We'll call it Stomp. Get this edited and we'll, uh, we'll push it out. All right. All right. Later. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, Get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 